Hello and welcome to Daily Kafefi with Carter and Carrie on Unsafe Space. Today is Monday, August 5th. Uh, we had book club last night. It, it went well. We had book club. Uh, it was a good discussion. Thank you everyone for joining who was in book club. Uh, it was nice to be able to see some of the people that whose names we see on YouTube comments and in other places and actually hear. And one of the things that I was impressed by was there were some really great insights Yes. We, we did. It's if our whole audience is like this, we rock. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know, but wow, it was great. It was, I, I had so much fun. Like I really enjoyed it. Everyone can, I was like sort of unsure how much people would feel comfortable contributing, but everyone had something interesting to say. And I thought it was a good size group. And, um, and yeah, I was just, I was really, I don't know. I felt very grateful for, the audience that we have and people who want to participate and stuff like that. Absolutely. And along those lines, I know we've mentioned that we've hit a thousand, um, thanks to our audience, uh, subscribers on YouTube. We, Carrie, we said we're going to schedule a demonetization party. We have actually been officially approved for monetization, although I haven't turned it on and done anything yet. So I've got to do that, but I'm sure that demonetization will, will shortly follow, but we're going to have a party anyway, Carrie, we're going to do a, Kofefi live tomorrow. That's our celebration. I don't know what else we're going to do, right? We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll do some like a live Kofefi party. Yes. At, at what? 9 a.m. Pacific. Is that correct? Yes. 11 a.m. Texas time. Texas. Noon if you're on the East Coast. So cool. uh, yeah, join us for Kofefi tomorrow live. Who knows what it will be like. But I think you're basically going to turn on monetization and then it's just, they're just going to pull a plug out. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There we go. Wah, wah. That's okay. That's okay. We, we expected this. Um, Carrie, I know today you and I want to talk about kind of a heavy subject, but I think it needs to be addressed. And I know my heart was heavy this weekend when I saw both mass shootings and Perhaps this is just me projecting, but I imagine that a lot of people were kind of taken aback by, you know, last week we had the Gilroy Garlic Festival, one in California. Then we had, this weekend we had two in a row, like within 24 hours of each other, two mass shootings. And no matter where you stand on gun issues or whatever, it's disturbing and I think gut-wrenching to see this. Right. And my guess is a lot of people, I was certainly asking the question, even though I felt like I knew the answers, I was certainly asking the question again, what the hell, how did we come to this? What the hell is going on? Why is this happening? Um, and so I think it's worth talking about a little bit. I do want to put it in context. Gun violence has been going down to the past several decades. We are seeing the sensationalization of mass shootings. The media, you know, the cathedral loves mass shootings. I mean, the the only segment of the population that that didn't have a heavy heart after this, in in my opinion, and maybe I'm ascribing more evil to them than they deserve, but I don't think so. No. Mainstream media. They were the only ones who were probably secretly gleeful that they had mass shootings to talk about. But t- I, th- I, I don't think you're ascribing too much evil to them. I think they, they, you know, people who work in uh, like nurses and cops become desensitized. People in the army become desensitized towards certain things. And a lot of times will develop like a dark sense of humor to deal with the trauma and that's part of their job. Um, I think the media does that, but in a, in a sick way, not in a healthy way. The media, I just, I just imagine they have dark, they have dark humor about it, but it's from a, um, they profit off of it. Like they yeah. profit off of this and they get clicks off of this and they salivate over it. I, I imagine. Yeah. And granted to some extent, that's our fault as the public for responding to that, but it's definitely, it's definitely something that I think gets them excited. They get to talk about mass shootings. Now, the other context I want to give, I don't want to talk about the details of these, but I do want to give a, some context a little bit. Um, the El Paso guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just the first sentence out of the manifesto that he wrote. The first sentence, 
in general, I support the Christchurch shooter and his manifesto, period. That's what he wrote. Now, I've written articles on the Christchurch shooter. I'm going to link to them again below because I think if you want to understand what he means by that, everything else in here is kind of related to the Christchurch shooter manifesto and this guy's kind of take on it for America. But if you want to read, you know, I wrote extensively about the Christchurch shooter. I'll put that link in. I mean, unfortunately, what you wrote is, it's very relevant to this. And I knew when you wrote it, it's a, I mean, we said we're going to see more now because the Christchurch guy, his manifesto was the type, I think, that that would inspire others. And that combined with what the media did, which was to both sensationalize it, but to avoid having a conversation around um, around some bits of truth in his manifesto, that that's going to lead to more people acting out in this way. Because... Because um, in in all of these things, there are elements of truth, and then there are there are false assumptions, right? And if you don't address the true parts, and the only person addressing the true parts are these crazy extremists, then then they're more attractive to people, like to people who could be pushed that way. I don't know if I'm am I articulating that okay or? Yeah, I mean, this is generally how lies work, right? Lies. Lies don't work well when they're just lies. They work well when they're packaged together with other things that seem plausible and half truths or partial truths or some facts somewhere that seem like you could weave a narrative out of them. And that's, you know, if I was going to sum up the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto, it would be took some facts and real issues and a bunch of evil, bad premises and weaved them together. And if you don't tease them out and you're not willing to have the conversation about the issues that were brought up that were real, then the only person talking about them is the Christchurch shooter. And this person obviously read the Christchurch shooter's manifesto and, and the Christchurch shooter asked other people to be doing this. He called, it was a call to arms. And, and one of the, one of the goals just to be, uh, just to remind people, one of the goals of the Christchurch shooter was to get, guns banned he viewed he thought that the gun owners in the u.s especially were wimps and they weren't standing up for their rights and the only way to wake them up was to have more mass shootings and have the government clamp down on guns so that they would rise up so they're trying to create a coalition where there isn't right gun owners don't don't agree with this in general they don't agree with these this manifesto but he's trying to kind of sweep them in to his quote movement to or create a movement using using gun owners um so that was the one shooter in el paso the shooter in dayton ohio was a leftist full-on pronouns in the twitter profile hating trump full-on social justice warrior leftist that was that was the dayton ohio shooter and I think it, the one other significant piece of information about the Dayton, Ohio shooter is that he killed his own sister as part of this rampage. He drove there with his sister and her boyfriend. I think the boyfriend was, was part of the, the car right there. I'm not sure. But the sister was with the boyfriend. He shot both of them. I think the boyfriend survived. He killed his sister um, and a whole bunch of other people. But this guy was radical left. <clears throat> so we saw within the span of 24 hours what you would call both sides quote of this escalating violence. And I mean, Carrie, I think there's a, a bigger, there's a bigger thing to discuss here. I, I don't know if you want me to just start pontificating or if you, if you want to jump in and talk about what you think is going on. Um, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts first. I mean, I have some, yeah, it's more of the same that we've talked about before. I'd, I'd like to flesh it out. But yeah, tell me tell me what you're thinking about it. Well, I mean, you know, I'll be transparent with everyone. I, I went for a long walk in the woods this morning thinking about this stuff just with a very like, you know, what's going on. And, you know, I've talked about the importance of philosophy in the past. And so it's not like I had no clue what's going on. It's just... I wanted to articulate it in my own mind a little bit more and really ask the question, not just what's going on, but what do we do about it? Um, or what, what, you know, what do the rest of us do about it? So 
I think the way I would describe this from a high level, Carrie, is um, the, the veil of the matrix is falling. And what I mean by that, what I mean by, when I'm saying the matrix, what I mean is we have, you know, I know I talk about like the cathedral being like the media and, and all that ilk pushing, pushing things, right? We have a, we have a society in which the narrative or not even the narrative, the argument, the central issue for decades and decades has really been around who controls the gun in the room and how should the state move forward? Like, how should the state expand? How should the state do things? Um, we've, we've, our argument has been completely limited to collectivism, 100% limited to collectivism. It's been, it hasn't been, like, you could make an argument, and, and I do, and pe people make this argument that, look, the U.S. was was founded upon this principle of individualism and you know self autonomy and self responsibility, and that's true. That was that was part of the philosophy underlying the U.S. But we abandoned that early, and even the things that we fixed that were broken about that. For example, there wasn't um, you know blacks were not treated as individuals, women were not treated as individuals. There were there were errors there. But we didn't even really fix those errors. In some cases, we, we used the name of individualism to fix those errors. But in some cases, we used equality, which is not the same thing and is a lie. Equality, there is no such thing as equality, actually. Um, there should be equality before the law, but that's not what we were talking about. Um, and we fixed a lot of these things. Some of these things we really fixed in the name of, of collectivism, and the conversation became... How should, what should the government do? I mean, Carrie, how many times have you heard in your lifetime, what should the government do about blank? Yeah. That's so much so, so much so that I, I just instinctively, I, I instinctively thought that way. It was, it, it was imprinted in, on me, I guess. Yeah. Until recently, until conversations with you, I mean, I remember having, uh, what was the conversation we had where I'm like, but who would fix the roads and who would do, and you, <laughs> it just never occurred to me, like, it's the government's job to do these things, right? And, and I, look, I would, I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff here we can unpack as we talk about this, but without getting all into the details, uh, we have, we have constructed a society in which First of all, we are told by the cathedral, by the matrix, that what the matrix tells us is there's the left and the right. And this is the totalitary, this is the total, totality of the argument. Should the government expand in this way and do these things? Or should it expand in this way and do these things? What should the government do and how should the government do it? And that conversation is all around who holds the gun of the government and how does it get pointed? And that's what we're told the whole conversation is. And... <clears throat> that conversation is a distraction. It's the wrong conversation. The conversation should be, what should the government be doing in the first place? But the reason that, that the, the quote cathedral or the matrix wants us to have that conversation is the people in charge, they just want power. They don't really care what the answer to that question is. They just want to rule. They just want power. And you see it in the social justice warriors in a very naked way where they talk very explicitly just about power, right? As you've brought up a lot. They worship but, power. Yeah, but I think what's happening is because this veil is slipping and people are seeing through, they're seeing this as a farce, right? As you see this as a farce, something happens. If you're the type of person who have conflated, so a lot of people have conflated legality with morality, right? They've, they've substituted uh, moral judgment and, and, and objective moral codes uh, and standards for the will of the majority or democracy, right? They've worshiped democracy and they've worshiped or, you know, or they've worshiped the, the, you know, they kind of feel like, well, maybe, maybe what the democracy wants in any given moment isn't correct, but eventually it'll, you know, the a will lot of people on the left do this. As Even you know. the people on the right worship democracy, right? When you had, you know, Bush running around, starting wars in the Middle East, it was all in the name of democracy. It wasn't the name of individual rights. It's the name of democracy. And there's, what happens, I think, was when this veil starts to slip, you start to realize that morality and legality are not the same thing. And I just you, want to give an example before you move on for people. Sure. So, because this helped crystallize this in my mind, help me understand it. Um, 
it, I'm just going to speak from someone who's on the left because that's what I, that's what I know. And that's an example I can give a lot of people on the left are like, you know, you better bake that cake for the gay couple because I think it's immoral for you not to bake it. Therefore it should be illegal for you not to bake it. That's the way they view it. They, they conflate the two. Whereas I'm of the opinion now you may believe it's immoral for him not to bake it, but it shouldn't be illegal. It may in fact be immoral. Right. But it still should still be legal. Right. Right. But, but that, but that's right. So we've, we've conflated this and we've done it. I can think of no better like grand example than our worship of the word democracy. Right. And the will of the people. Um, morals don't come from what most people say they are. That's not how morals work. 51% of the people aren't right by virtue of the fact that they have more. Right. And this is, but this is what we, this is kind of part of what we've been told. This is the story. And when that veil starts to slip, when people start to recognize, and I, and I think it's on the left, the easy thing to recognize there is like Trump got elected and suddenly there, it's like very hard to argue for democracy if you're on the left and Trump is who gets elected. Now they're going to, they're trying to abolish the electoral college. They still have got some excuses for this, but the fact is there's a large percentage of people who voted for and want Trump. And that's very disturbing to someone who believes that uh, the majority is right by virtue of the fact that they're the majority. Um, and, and you have similar, similar on the right, you're seeing obviously the, a lot of this veil, a lot of what the cathedral pushes out is very leftist. And so that's starting to slip as well. And when, the, when that veil slips and you start to realize that morality and legality aren't the same thing, if you don't have moral premises to fall back on, if you don't have moral pillars to fall back on, I think you end up with, well, then there's no morality. If there's no, if I don't, so in order for society to function, we have to have trust in our institutions, right? That, that's just, even the most authoritarian, even China, I mean, I have, I've had this conversation with uh, a lot of Chinese citizens recently, even China cares deeply about what its citizens think about its laws and the authority of the state because they know as, as tight as their fist is around the throats of their citizens, if enough of them don't view the Chinese government as legitimate, they're fucked and they know it. Authoritarians know they need buy-in. And so as soon as people start to question the legitimacy of our institutions, and you're seeing it very clearly with um, the whole Mueller probe and, you know, just, just, just assume that all the people, things people say about Hillary Clinton and all the people, things people say about Trump are both true because one side believes one and the other side believes the right. other. There's not right. justice in any of it, right? Mm-hmm. Not, there's no justice anywhere. Now, I don't think that all, all things that both sides think are true, but that's not the point. The point is there's clearly a lack of trust in the system and, and that trust, the more, the more you talk about, uh, how bad the system is. And then and again, media loves narratives of, you know, there was another recently, there was a cop who shot, tried to shoot a dog, which was an unjustified shooting of the dog in the first place and killed the woman. The woman called for assistance. She had a medical emergency. She called for assistance. The cops came to help, got scared by a dog, tried to shoot the dog and shot her and killed her. Like, and of course this gets, this goes viral and this gets played up and is that good? No, obviously it's a horrible, horrible thing. But the more and more of this stuff gets out there and the more people see that our rulers are not special, they're not good people, they're not above reproach, they are people who do evil just like anyone else, the, the less we have faith in our institutions. And there clearly are different rules for the rulers and for the non-rulers. Another great example in recent history is the bailout of the banks, right? We have this weird oligarchy where we've got the Federal Reserve, which is private, and all these banks that are members of the Federal Reserve, and they have special treatment, and, you know, they can, have, they can socialize their losses. They get to keep the profits when they do well, and they socialize the losses. Instead of going bankrupt or going to jail, what happens? They get bailed out, right? And... And that's unjust and people see that and they look at the system and, and they, they lose faith in the system. 
And I, I think that's what, that's what Occupy Wall Street was about. That was people. Yeah. Seeing through the veil on, and mostly that was people on the left. I think it was a mix of people, but it was mostly people on the left. And it was exactly what you're talking about, sort of losing faith in the government. Yeah. And a lot of these shooters are millennials, right? And they, they grew up in this and they see that they, they see it for the lie that it is. And if they have no morality to fall back on, um, it depends on, as Scott Adams would say, I would think it depends on what movie they're watching. If they're, if they're watching the leftist movie, then they are the Dayton, Ohio shooter. If they're watching the movie on the right, then they are the El Paso shooter. But because they have no morals to fall back on, because they've lost trust in the institutions, and of course, it's the most unstable members of society that are vulnerable to this, right? This is, there's always the most unstable members of society. And so um, they're the ones who are first going to fall prey to the idea that it's okay to go shoot people, right? And they're going to be the first aggressors. And so the, the unstable elements of, of both, quote, sides are, are going to be the ones out doing this. And it doesn't mean that mainstream people on the right and mainstream people on the left want this. It just yeah. means this is what the unstable elements are going to latch onto. These are the narratives they're going to use to justify their angst and psychological upset and psychological trauma and they've lost faith in what they were told was mommy and daddy will take care of them. They've, we, we know we've made, we've made the state to be parents. And so as soon as, as soon as you lose trust in your parents, it, it's very traumatic for some people. Yeah. We're gonna say something, Carrie. Um, well, I was just going to say, yeah, it starts with, of course, the most unstable elements, but that's why, that's why the Christchurch shooters manifesto was uh, one that we, you and I talked about and you, and you wrote the, the um, series on as being one that was, that was going to inspire others because, because it was written in a very accessible way uh, because it did include elements of truth. And there's this, um, this theory that I read about, I'm trying to find the, article, but I think I read about it in the New Yorker called riot. And, and it was a guy who was using riot theory to explain mass shootings. But the idea being that you start with the most unstable elements, but then the threshold is lowered for other people. And so over time you will see more of the, these things happening because it's like in a riot, the, there are the people who have the threshold of zero who are the first to pick up a rock and throw it. And then there are the people who have a threshold of one who are like, well, I'm not going to throw a rock unless somebody else is throwing one. Okay, well, now I'm going to throw a rock because someone else is. And then you have the people of threshold of two. Well, they'll throw a rock if enough people are throwing one. Right. And, then it, and, and I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about how more people get in, inspired is the word they use, but inspired to do this because now the threshold is, is, is maybe, you know, they wouldn't have done it if there hadn't have been another example, but the most unstable element goes first. And then you get people with a little bit um, higher threshold and higher threshold, et cetera. And I don't think it matters which side's throwing the rock. So no, it doesn't carry the, the Dayton guy was uh, paying attention to the El Paso shooting. We, there's evidence that we know he was paying attention to what was going on in El Paso. So it may very well have been, he was like, well, if that side's going to shoot, uh, I guess it's time for me to start shooting. Um, and so I, let's move. So I think we know, I mean, we can dig into the issues behind all this. I know a lot of people want to say it's mental health. It's the destruction of the family. Other people want to say it's guns. Um, you know, obviously mental health and like obviously a lot of those things are in drugging our kids like a lot of those things are true i'm not i don't want to take away from them the fact is uh we can unravel this pretty far back if we want to there's there's a psychological instability happens for a variety of reasons we are in a state that promotes psychological instability promotes the environment necessary for some of this We've got a bad philosophy on top of it, which can be used to rationalize this. Like there's a lot of stuff behind it. But the, the question that really was in my mind, Carrie, was like, well, 
what do what can we do about it like what what now like okay yeah we know we know all this but we can't we can't go back in time and tell people to stop stop teaching collectivism in schools a hundred years ago um and hey this welfare state where we you know uh encourage single parenthood and discourage stable families and you know we we drug kids whenever there's problems like hey let's go rewind all that we can't do all that stuff and i think carrie the one the important thing for me to remember i'll just speak for myself the important thing for me to remember and i would encourage other people to to remember this um a lot of us see the matrix the veil of the matrix slipping a lot of us see this it's not just these people. A lot of us see that this is a farce. We call it a clown world a lot of times. We know that this is a farce and we see the veil slipping. Those aren't the only two sides. The only, like when you see the veil slipping, it doesn't mean you have to jump into one side of the camp or the other. I, I think what's inevitable, and this is the depressing part, this is going to get worse. So no matter how 2020 goes, for example, neither side, if either side, if they lose, will think that the election is either legally or at very least morally illegitimate. There will be, the 2020 elections have already lost their legitimacy. It doesn't matter whether Trump wins or not. It's Ill, it will be viewed as illegitimate by a large percentage of the population. Either way, possibly legally illegitimate, definitely morally illegitimate. And, and this is because, you know, we know, we know that big tech is manipulating the election. So if Trump loses, the right will, you know, assume that that's what happened. If Trump wins, the left will assume that Russia or just a bunch of racists or whatever. And so it's illegitimate that way. This is going to get worse. And my concern for the rest of us is not getting caught in the crossfire. Because we don't need to fight the battle between the left. These are both authoritarians, right? The left, the radical left and the radical right are both authoritarians. They're arguing over whether we should have Stalin or Hitler. Like, we don't, we don't need to be part of that discussion. They're going to shoot each other. We need to not be in the, in the crossfire. But we need to, and we need to separate ourselves and protect ourselves. And I think, maybe you're going to disagree with me, Carrie, but... I think we need to mourn the loss of America in the sense that a lot of us think about it. The idea of America doesn't have to be dead, but America as the, as the idea that it was in 50 states, it's time to grieve that because that is going to be over. I don't know when, but it's over. And they're going to fight over the remnants of this. And that idea can live on and it can live on in the rest of us who want individualism, who want autonomy and responsibility at the individual level, who don't want to be ruled by Stalin or Hitler. And, but we're not going to get all 50 states. We're not going to, and I don't know where, I'm not saying we all need to move to Colorado or something. I don't know, like, I don't well, know, where we, but it's not going to survive. And I think they, we have to grieve that. Yeah, well, they are arguing over you know, because it's on my mind, we did book club last night, Brave New World. Like you said, they're arguing over Stalin or Hitler. They're arguing over Brave New World or 1984. Like, which dystopian authoritarian world do you want to live in? And um, it's funny that you, you were using that phrase, the rest of us, because after the 2016 election, I started to see things differently. That's when I guess I would say the veil started to slip for me um, because it didn't, be I stopped, I stopped seeing the world. I stopped seeing this right or left thing is important. It doesn't, it's not important to me. I mean, it's important to me when I talk about it with people for whom it's important. If, if I'm talking to a person who believes in that, then it's necessary for me to speak in those terms. But in general, it's not important to me. It doesn't tell me anything about you if you're on the right or the left. I started to view it as people who are working for, for war and people who are working for peace. That's the best I could articulate it at the time. 
And then since you and I started talking, doing the podcast and stuff, I think we discussed this once and you were saying people who are statists, right? Versus people who are not. Um, but um, I kind of felt like this has been coming for a while. It's just more clear now that it's going to keep, it is going to keep getting worse. But I think the rest of us, I went and I bought the website, the rest of us. That's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, but the, but the rest of us, there's more of us. Yeah. And, and I think we have to start seeing ourselves as that, like there's more of us. And for all of the rest of us, it, we, we're liberals, we're conservatives, we're libertarians, we're it, none of that none of that stuff matters. We're, we're atheists. We we're Christians. We're Muslims. It doesn't matter there. We are not those two authoritarian options. And the rest of us are a large silent majority. And that's what I think. I hope. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're a majority, but we are a large number. It doesn't matter if we're a majority, actually. We're a large number. We're a large self-sustainable number. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter whether we're 50% or 40%, but it, it's a large number. And it's odd to me on the one hand, look, I'm, a, I'm an anarchist ultimately. I'm a libertarian. I mean, I'm not advocating for anarchy right now, but like I'm a libertarian on the road to anarchy philosophically person, and I'm an atheist. And it's weird for me to be lumped in the same camp with like, oh, here are some like moderate Democrat Christians. Right. You're, in, you're in the camp with me, a liberal evangelical. <laughs> right. but, the, but the thing that we are sharing is we don't want, we don't want um, to argue over who's pointing the gun at whom. And, and I think, frankly, a lot of the, I think something that's good that's happening is a lot of people that were maybe more centrist or moderate are realizing they have to pick a side and the side they need to pick is statism or not statism. And they're realizing like, oh, if I have to give up arguments over my roads because I don't want to be ruled by Stalin, I'll give up roads, <laughs> right? Like we'll figure out how to build roads later. That's a better path for me to go on. And, and, I, and, and I don't know where that group is going to go. And I'm not saying that everyone agrees, but I, I, I do think the way that we protect ourselves from there is a war brewing between the right and the left. And, and I mean, when I say right and left, I'm meaning the extremes of these. There is a war brewing. And my guess is actually the left will win. The left will win politically. And because they have the numbers and they have control of the state. And, and, they, the and they have big tech. Yes. So, but... How, the way that we protect ourselves is we need to be a community and we need each other. We need to support each other and we need to become more vigilant. Like, not, how do I want to say this? I, I don't know where to move to. I'm not saying you have to move to the re American readout tomorrow, although you should look up the American readout and check it out. However, at some point, many of us will probably have to move. I live in California. I've got personal reasons why I'm kind of stuck here right now, but I can't, this is not going to be where I'm going to be able to stay. I'm not going to have the luxury of staying here. And not everyone gets to, look, some people have to grow up and live during the Spanish Inquisition. Some people have to live during the Black Plague. Some people have to live during the Holocaust. We have gotten to live during an era of Facebook and Netflix where are, you know, are the, the most angsty thing is some fucking argument on Twitter with someone. That era is coming to a close. We are going to have to live in a more uncomfortable, less pleasant world. And that is very clear to me. I, I don't want to run around saying it's tomorrow. We're going to be, you know, we're not going to be trading ammo tomorrow. But at some point, things are going to start to get pretty uncomfortable. And we need to start... I think we need to collectively grieve the loss of the comfortable America that we know in our lifestyles and, and accept the fact that it's not going to remain comfortable, but we are strong enough to have discomfort and live with discomfort and support each other in discomfort and make it through to the other side and carry the torch of individualism 
to wherever it's going to, to remain and rebuild from there. And I don't know where that is. And I don't know when that is, but there are enough people who care about individualism that we can keep the torch alive and we can support each other, but we can't do it if we're fat and lazy and we're watching Netflix and we're refused to give up the pleasantries of our lives because eventually we're going to have to, we're going to have to do that. And I don't want to do it any more than you do. I would rather watch Netflix and eat ice cream, but. And just kind of be, be in denial. Yeah. Be in denial. That's what that is. It's, it's like a, it's like, the, uh, again, to bring it back to our book called discussion last night, like Soma, it's like uh, zoning out, choosing to just not face, I don't know, reality. I've, I would say, I, I mean, I don't know practically what people can do. I've been, I saw uh, Maj Ture, um from Black Guns Matter saying, you know, I encourage you all to go get firearms training, learn how to be proficient. And I encourage you to learn first aid and, you know, learn how to be self, a little bit more self-sufficient. I mean, that's definitely advice I need to take. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with him completely. I also think building a community is very important um, because the truth is as self-sufficient, I mean, the most self-sufficient survivalist, you know, would have a pretty shitty life surviving on their own. Specialization of labor and expertise and a community of people voluntarily interacting with another with one another, that's civilization. Like that we we have that still. We can have if we have a group of people who are are recognize what's coming and are willing to support each other, that's I think that's the best defense against this. Not that you shouldn't also do the things that Carrie's talking about. Absolutely. Um, but I think it starts with a conversation and often that conversation starts in your own head, right? Which is accepting that, you know, I wanted to live out the rest of my days being able to watch Netflix and eat ice cream. <laughs> I wanted the comfort of the society that we build. It's a beautiful, there's many beautiful things about the society that make it very easy for us to live and enjoy our lives. There's a lot of beauty here. And I wanted to just enjoy that. And I think the first conversation is a conversation with yourself, which dude, it's not possible. It's not happening. Well, no, enjoying yourself is, I mean, that's, that's kind of the antidote to no, this. No, the, the yeah. In that society that way, it's not going right. to continue in this way. Right. Um, right. And th th things are going to change. And I think, for some people, also the conversation starts in their family. Like often in a family, you're usually one of the partners is a little bit more threat vigilant, often the guy, right? Not always. Not in my well, relationships. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but often the guy, it doesn't matter. One of the partners is often the one paying attention to like, look, these are the, ex these are the external threats that we have to worry about. This is what's going on with society generally. These are the things that we have to, we have to start stocking food. We have to start thinking about where we're going to move to, not because we like the, the restaurants or we like the culture or that I can get a better job there, but because it's a safer place with like-minded people who will support us when things start to go south. And I don't know when they're going to go south, honey, but they're going to go south and we need to start preparing for it. And that's a hard conversation to have with your spouse because often the other spouse is focused on like, oh, the kids have a math test next week and I want to make sure Brian is really good at soccer and enjoying his soccer team and, you know, Sally needs to do whatever. And like, they're focused on, they're focused on uh, the vacation that we're going to take. We're going to go to Disney World next year. And I want to like, they're focused on the family and, and the kind of immediate environment, which is all great. But that needs to be balanced with like, hey, the Redcoats are coming. Right, like that, that, we need to we need to be careful. This is it. This may not continue, and that's a really really hard conversation to have. But it's important, and it's also I don't want to. I want people to understand the reality of it. It's hard to live in a state where you're paying attention at that level all the time. Right. Do you know, um, are you familiar with uh, 
the color codes for mental awareness that Jeff Cooper put out years ago, Carrie. So he had this uh, analogy for like um, mental awareness of a, and he was talking about specifically immediate threat situations. And so um, red meant like you were actively engaged in a firefight, right? Like that's when things are red, right? You're engaged in a firefight. When things are orange, when you're in like orange state, you have a specific threat that you're like, oh, that guy is, might do something. Like you're like super turned on and focused on like, like switched on and focused on that guy's behavior because it could escalate to red really quickly, right? When you're in yellow, you're kind of in this general state of like, I know where my exits are. I'm kind of paying attention. Who, who might have a gun in here? Who might be whatever? Like, you know, I'm kind of aware of my environment, right? But most of us live in white, which is like, staring at my phone. I have no idea what's happening around me. Oblivious to the world. Oblivious, and yeah. White is a necessary psychological state, at least in my experience. Like, you know, when you're home watching Netflix and chilling, you're in white and that is fine. And it's refreshing and comforting and great. I spent a time in my life where I tried to be in yellow whenever I was out, always. It's really tiring. It's really fucking hard to be in yellow all the time. But, and I'm not suggesting that everyone has to do that all the time, but I do think we need to start, you know, it's a good analogy to just kind of start paying attention to, like there are threats out in the world and those threats are increasing. There is a, I'll call it a civil war, but I don't think it's a traditional civil war. There is a breakdown of society that will be happening and it is going to uh, accelerate. We're going to see more of this stuff. And, and, and by the way, where? see more of this stuff too. I, I think anybody just tuning into this might be like, why are they, what does this have to do with these shootings at all? Like we've gone so far afield, but not really. I mean, I think, I think it's, um, it's the response to these shootings too, which is, which is what's telling me things are going to get worse. I've only briefly looked at what politicians and the media are saying, but what they're saying is insane. It, well, I mean, I guess if, if you think that this is unrelated to the shootings, then you are ignorant about why these shootings are happening. Right. So this isn't, these aren't random. It's not because there's more guns. There aren't more guns per capita. Like we've had guns per cap. We've had a lot of guns per capita for decades. Right. And you can blame proximate causes like uh, drugging kids and broken families and all that's true, but there's a why behind all that. And it's all, it's all related. And we are seeing a collapse. We are slowly, we're seeing the beginnings of a collapse. And I don't, there's not an ideological war per se. Like, I don't think, I don't think ideologues in Antifa are saying, like, let's go assassinate someone. And I don't think ideologues in the right are saying, let's go assassinate someone for their political beliefs. But you are seeing the lower rungs. You are seeing the more unstable individuals with nothing to fall back on. Realize they're watching the veil slip on the matrix. They're realizing that there's, there's no there there, and they've got nothing but nihilism beneath. So that's, what's, that's how it's manifest. I mean, it's odd that this person on the right and the person on the left, they did the exact same thing, right? For They both shot innocent people unrelated to their problems that they viewed in society. They both just killed innocent people. It's the exact same result, right? Which is but why I think you're this- gonna- Go ahead. Go ahead. Which is why I'm saying I don't think this is escalated to actually like one side directly fighting the other openly because they're just killing random people right now. It's the, it's the unstable elements of each side getting agitated, agitated and killing people. Right. But what comes next is, so right now it's the unstable elements, but then you have the cathedral, right? You have the um, propaganda people on each side or, or what have you who are going to make this, who are going to pull more people into this and turn it into a a right versus left thing. So I'm looking at what people in the cathedral are saying, people on the left, like politicians, media, and they're not talking about Dayton, the Ohio one, because that was a leftist or, or if they are, they're just 
lumping it in and ignoring the fact that it's different. It's a different uh, reason. Yeah. And so what they're saying is white supremacy, white supremacy. And they're, uh, they're also, they're also using it as a, um, as a weapon against Trump and the right, which doesn't, that's what I think is insane. I saw Beto work on a, a little clip of him on some news interview saying Trump is a white nationalist. That's insane. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. They've gone from implying it to now this is something they're using to just step right out there and say he is. You don't think that's going to end somewhere horrible down the road. We, that's where we're at now. That's the the debate now. Um, That's what terrifies me is where, where the prop. So you've got these crazy unstable elements doing this. And then you've got, the, these propaganda arms who are using it to push their in their desired conflict that they want to have. They want to have a war. Yes. Because the, and the left especially wants war because they'll win. And I don't mean they'll win with guns. Um, obviously the right has more guns and blah, 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 but they're not going to fight that kind of a war. This isn't going to be, we draw a line between California and New York and the rest of the States. And we, you know, fight an official war with, firearms that's not what this is this is this is a revolution this is taking over the government and the left will take over the government um they will win that. and and they'll consolidate with big social it's already happened in other countries yeah. you know there are other countries governments who are going to facebook and stuff and saying give us all this information on this person and we're going to go arrest this guy <laughs> they're they're already working together i mean look at the look at the amazing turnover between hillary clinton's campaign and google like the people who are working for Google now who are working for her and vice versa, that right. they're just, they're, they're one entity. If you don't, if you don't realize that big social and the media and the democratic party are all one entity, you're not paying attention. Yeah. And I would actually go beyond, it's not even just big social. It's, you know, and it's, it's large corporations and this is inevitable. Look, anyone who is wealthy, like super wealthy and has a, has, has a lot to lose. Right. So these large corporations are going to go with stability and the left is offering some modicum of stability. Right. If you play, or at least that's their promise. If you play nice, if you help us out, we're going to be in charge and everyone kind of gets the left is going to be in charge. Right. We're, you know, which is why the Trump victory was an anomaly and freaked people out because everyone kind of assumed Hillary was going to be in charge. They wouldn't have to worry about all this other crap, it would all get swept under the rug, right? This is why the deep state freaked out. But eventually, the left will be in charge. And if you play nice, then we'll kind of let you keep your, keep your money. Keep, keep your Netflix. Money. No, if you play nice, you can zone out and go back to your Netflix. Well, I'm talking about the, specifically oh. talking to the, the wealthy corporations, like the large corporations and the wealthy. Oh, people. yeah, yeah. Okay. You help us and play nice and you can be part of the fascist ruling class, right? You can be, because, you know, even even Elizabeth Warren knows that she needs corporate minions to do her bidding at the end of the day, no matter what she says. Even she knows she needs the big companies at the end of the day, as long as they're beholden to her, right? And so this is not, there's no scenario in which minimal government people take over the U.S. as it exists today. The, the hope is that the non-statists carry that ideology somewhere and keep it alive and, and are able to defend it from the rest of the rest of the U.S., right? And that's, but, that's, the win, that's the winning scenario. That's it. But the, the, my fear and I, is that the authoritarians on the left, because they are such a huge majority now compared to the authoritarians on the right, um, that there's going to be this backlash that happens where all the stuff that the cathedral has been saying about white supremacy and is going to come true. It's not true currently. That's the crazy thing. It's like 0.00 something insanely small percent of the people would, would fall into that white nationalist category, but they're trying to tell you it's this big, huge boogeyman and they're growing it into a boogeyman. Yeah. Well, that's what we are seeing with these, these, these shooters, right? Yeah, they are. 
Um, and that's where that resistance will come from. And that's what that battle will be. But that's my message to people is like, step out of that battle. Yeah. Like, don't, you don't have to go to the boogeyman. No. You don't have to, you don't have to be either boogeyman. <laughs> no, but you do have to be careful to not get caught in the crossfire. And that means, that means building a community of like-minded people. It means giving up some comfort and recognizing that we, you know, you may have to move at some point. I don't know where, but you may have to move. You may have to have a little bit more hardship than you're used to. You may have to make decisions, you know, between two bad options that you don't like, but that's the only way to step out of this game because it's a bloody battle and you don't want to be part of either side and you don't want to get caught in the crossfire. And some of us are going to get caught anyway in the crossfire, no matter what we do. But there are other people, like Carrie thinks it's maybe a majority, I don't know, but there's definitely a lot. There's a plurality. There's a lot of people out there who also are not fundamentally big statists. They want individualism and they disagree on how much, that's fine, but at least they're, they want to move in the direction of, it's really a directional thing. They want the government to shrink, not get bigger, right? And we can argue about how much we want it to shrink, but those of us who want it to shrink and, are, and are, are afraid of this authoritarian mindset that both other, that the, the quote, other sides are battling over, we're the people who can keep this, the torch of what the idea behind America was alive. Yeah. But you can't do it by yourself. You're going to need a community. And you guys are all welcome in Texas. Huh? You're welcome in Texas. I don't think Texas will survive. You don't? No. That's pretty sad. (laughs) No, Texas Texas will not. I don't think Texas will survive. I don't know where we'll survive. And I'm not telling you to do anything specific because I don't know where to go and I don't know when. I I don't have the answers. But I am saying, yeah, you can prep physically. There's prep you can do. But also really just emotionally and mentally, I think it's time to grieve the loss of the United States as a 50-state entity focused on individual rights. That is dying, and and we're we're watching it die, and I'm not even sure it's on life support anymore. I mean, you could make an argument that it's already dead, but it's in the death throes, and it can't be saved in its current form, but the idea can be saved. And there are plenty of people who want to save the idea. And, you know, we don't need all 50 states to save the idea. That's okay. I feel like this is a downer, this episode. Well, I tried to end on a positive note. Come to Texas and hang out with me. And you're like, Texas is going under. So everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything I say. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't, I'm, I'm really not curious what people think about this though. I'd like to hear in the comments from our audience because I don't, um, I don't think that I'm being hyperbolic and I don't think that I'm being paranoid. I don't think that you're being hyperbolic, but I, I do think you're a little more pessimistic than I am sometimes, sometimes. And also, I mean, I have, I believe in prayer. Like I, I believe in, I'm, I'm comforted at the end of the day anyway, because I've, I, because of my faith that it's, and we don't share that in common. So to talk about it would be to presume that you believe that and you don't. So, um, I think in some ways that makes me more of an op- optimist. Just don't let it. I mean, that's fine. Just don't let it be stupid optimism because there's it's not plenty stupid. Of, of, no, I just mean like, no. don't, don't let it prohibit you from acting. Right. Cause there's plenty of examples of, uh, Christians on both sides of conflicts and one side lost. So. Oh, absolutely. And no, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, I just mean that, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not going to presume to speak for what your faith means to you, but what I'm meaning is, well, I don't believe, I don't think it means you can't, you can't just assume everything's going to work out because you could pray for it. Like, that might not be. No, but you have prayer. You have to do prayer and works. And faith requires more than just being like, I'm, you, it's not like I'm going to sit here and be a lazy ass and let God right. take care of everything. And by the way, when I do that, then God's like, you're being a lazy ass. I'm going to pull this rug Okay, out. that's fine. Then. I'm just saying yeah. work. Keep working. That's <laughs> yeah, all. That's, 
Yes. I mean, anybody, I'm sure other people know what I'm talking about, whether they believe in God or not. It's like, if you don't, if you're just sitting around doing nothing and you know what needs to happen and you're not doing it and then God or the universe, however you like to think of it is like, ha ha, I'm going to rip this rug out from under you. And now you have to do something. Yeah. So. You know, can I, can I, one final thing I want to mention, cause I just thought of it, the matrix, the cathedral, the, the, the clown world, they're what they hate this conversation that we're having. They don't want, they don't want us to pull out. They want us to choose sides um, between the two radical extremes to fight over our authoritarian rulers. They want us to be right or left. Yes. They don't want us to pull out. They don't like the, the one opinion that's unallowable is smaller government, like more individualism. Like that's the one you can't talk about. The, the thing you could never answer when someone says, what should the government do about blank? The thing you were never allowed to say was nothing. <laughs> like, right. So that's, that tells you what's, what's unacceptable. And I, they're going to try and paint us just like they've painted Alex Jones as crazier than he actually is. He might be a little crazy. I don't know, but they, they're going to try and to paint us all as paranoid freaks. And they're going to use analogies like during the cold war, there were plenty of survivalist people who built bomb shelters, right? They were like, Oh, gotta have a bomb shelter. It might be a nuclear blast. And we make fun of them in society now. We have movies where like, we mock these people who built bomb shelters. Ha, ha, ha. That's so funny. What idiots. They were smart. The truth is they were probably doing the right thing. We came actually extremely close to nuclear war several times. And the only reason we're mocking them is because it turns out they were prepared for something that didn't actually happen. But it was possible and not only possible it was very likely i mean there was an example we one of the times we didn't go to nuclear war was because a russian commander disobeyed orders that's it he disobeyed orders like there have been there were several times I've, i heard a, an expert in nuclear um relations lecture on this and he he studied he was around during the Cold War and studied all these examples. Like there are plenty of examples where we almost did go to full-scale nuclear war. And we can look back on those people now that build the bomb shelters and be like, ha ha, you idiot. You, you're just paranoid. You prepared for something. You, you and your cans of food and guns in the shelter, you were stupid. They weren't stupid. They were prepared. And yes, it turns out, thankfully, they didn't need to be. <laughs> but... but that doesn't mean you don't need to prepare. That's the, the wrong lesson to take away from this is to wave your hand and be like, eh, everything's fine. Everything is very likely not fine. And I think the chance of this is probably even higher than the chance of nuclear war was during the Cold War. And we barely escaped that, barely. So have a great day, everyone. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> um, if you like, if you like the rantings of these madmen, <laughs> please share, like, and subscribe. No, really, I know what you're saying. People are going to call. Like anybody who has this conversation is crazy. I even said in some. I I don't want to get into arguments about this stuff online right now. I just don't. I don't have the stamina for it. But yesterday, I did comment on one person's post who was talking about. Um, uh, and so in their point of view, this is all about addiction to guns. Our culture is addicted to guns. And I was right. like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> but, we, or he was like, it's a gun, it's a sickness. It's a gun sickness. That's what, that's what the problem is. Like, no, we do, we do have a sickness. We do. But I would say, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not guns or, you're talking about shooting. You're talking about a symptom of a sickness. What's the sickness? The sickness is all these other things, one of which is nihilism. But right. when you say that, people, nihilism, what's wrong with me? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, okay, we're just not going to be able to have a conversation because we're speaking completely different languages. And, and so those people, yeah, they're going to say, like, you're crazy and you're, I don't know. But well, um, be willing to be called crazy and, and be willing to have the tough conversations with people around you so that you can protect your family and build the coalition of people around you who get it right? And who will support you and who you can support when things 
heat up, which they are heating up and they'll continue to heat up. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And um... on a positive note, we'll have a fun party tomorrow. We'll have a demonetization party for Kofefi at nine Pacific, 11 Texas time, noon Eastern. There will be puppies.